Hello and welcome to the Herbicane Podcast. My name is Simon Osmo and I'm a former UK police detective turned entrepreneur and mindset coach. And on this podcast, I talk with impactful individuals from around the world who have navigated a life pivot, found themselves for a self-discovery to find that thing that we've all been looking for, a happy and fulfilled life. So the excuses are over, my friend. It's time to change our thinking so that we can change our lives and come join me as we dive into this week's conversation to learn how they became who they became. Welcome to the Herb Became a Podcast. I'm Simon Osimo, and today I'm talking with Dr. Scott Glassman about how to discover your best self. He is the author of The Happier You, teaching you how to transform your negative thinking into positivity and resilience. And Scott's going to talk about his own adversity as a kid, which led him to depression and low self-worth and how he got himself out of it. So if you want to know how to tap into your capacity for positivity and opening pathways into feeling good, then this is the episode for you. So without further ado, let's just dive straight in to this week's conversation with Dr. Scott Glassman, the author of A Happier You. Well, Dr. Scott Glassman, really excited for this conversation today. And you are the author of A Happier You. And there's so many different facets to your life and your story. It's going to be a really interesting conversation to really sort of dive into how do we become happier as human beings. So, Scott, welcome to the Hubbicane podcast. Simon, it's so good to be with you today to talk about one of my favorite topics, which is happiness. I'm a psychologist and I've been involved in teaching, training, and clinical work in the area of happiness, mindfulness, health psychology, motivation for the past eight years. And there is no other topic that I think we all need to be talking about these days as we're still in the throes of a pandemic that doesn't want to seem to let go of its grasp on society, um, where mental health struggles are increasing at alarming rates. And we I think we all need a little extra support and some extra tools, which is what I hope my book provides for people, extra tools for feeling good about who they are and for creating more meaning, more of a sense of purpose, along with other positive emotions each day in life. And so that's been my personal mission as a psychologist, as a human being, right? We're always evolving. And one of the things, Simon, I love about the title of your podcast is Who I Became, it's also about who we're becoming. We're always in the state of becoming, I think, something more. We're always growing. We're always learning if we're open to it, if we have curiosity, if we have a sense of what we value about ourselves and, and find that in the world around us. And I love it, Scott. And in the intro to my podcast, I don't know if anyone listens to it anymore, maybe first-time listeners do, but I inserted a line in there a few months ago talking about a happy and fulfilled life. So that is definitely something that we are all searching for is to find that happy and fulfilled life. So, uh, you know, with your experience, your background and education, you're definitely going to be able to give us some um, wisdom today for sure. So, I mean, the book is called A Happier You, but maybe let's dive back a little bit about you, Scott. So, you know, you're a clinical psychologist, but where, where did your journey begin? How did you get into the field that you're in now? 
Yeah, and I think everybody's story, everybody's trajectory involves some portion of adversity, something that happens that's an obstacle in life or a barrier overcome, which defines a life direction, a purpose, a mission, and, and even finding out who you are. And for me, growing up, I experienced um, really a feeling of rejection from, peer, from my peers, uh, some pretty awful bullying in middle school, and experiencing a lot of depression as a result of that as a young adult. And I think that sparked my interest in, in our internal life. You know, what, you know why w was I having the, those feelings and thoughts? How could I, even more importantly, how could I get out of it? So uh, my interest in psychology developed in high school and then continued into college at University of Pennsylvania, where I worked in the lab of Dr. Martin Seligman, who is widely considered the founder of the field of positive psychology and had an opportunity to work with middle school students in Philadelphia, teaching them resilience strategies, cognitive resilience strategies, how to reframe their ways of thinking about stressful events. And so that really was a continuation of this desire to be somebody in the world who could help others. And there's so many different ways to help others. And I found it through psychology, eventually becoming a therapist and working in the field of mental health field for five years as a practitioner in the areas of dual diagnosis, working with people with substance use concerns, as, along with mental health concerns. And then going back for my doctoral degree, really focusing in on healthy lifestyle change. How do we not only just, you know, meet status quo and not feel depressed and not feel anxious, but how do we thrive? How do we go beyond, beyond the status quo? How do we reach optimal levels of functioning, experiencing life. And positive psychology has always resonated with me uh, from that perspective, because that's what it studies. It's a science of how we can be more fulfilled and reach our highest potential. And Scott, you know, one of the things that you mentioned in there was, uh, you know, depression that sort of sit in and, and you mentioned sort of around sort of high school and stuff. I mean, there is I, I don't know what normal really is in people's lives. You know, we, we try and say we're as normal as what we normal can be, whatever it really looks like. But I guess if you go back to like your maybe your teenage years, Yen, when did you sort of first start to realize that I'm feeling different than others, or I'm not finding this happiness, I'm not feeling fulfilled, I'm not sort of comfortable in who I am? What, what did that sort of time look like? And how did you come to that sort of um, understanding, I guess? Yeah, I, I can remember the precise point. It's when I switched schools, I was uh, in uh, one school up through sixth grade, and then seventh grade, I went to an entirely different school, didn't know anybody, um, whole different culture and climate, um, not as accepting and welcoming, and quite frankly, just felt like I was an, on an island, and that was really the first time I'd ever experienced that in my life, um, not having friends, but not only just not having friends, but really feeling picked on you know, quite a bit. And so we're forming at that age, right? We're, we're forming our ideas about ourselves our core beliefs. And so there are three that tend to be associated with depression. And those are worthlessness, a sense of incompetence or inability to affect positive uh, things in life and hopelessness. So I feel like I got a good uh, foundation in those three maladaptive ways of, of seeing myself at that time in my life, which I subsequently worked through with professional help, with the love of my family, and got to a place where I realized that, you know, I, I want to help other people not go through the same things that I went through, at least 
emotionally and not have the similar reactions. And the hard thing can sometimes be seeking that help. I mean, can you remember that journey that you went through where you had to say to a friend, family member or doctor, you know, I'm, I'm not feeling where I should be. Um, what, what did that look like, Scott? Yeah, um, well, my parents uh, took me to a therapist and uh, actually more than one because sometimes it takes you a few trials and errors in order to uh, find out who's going to be the best professional fit in terms of providing help. And I think that's, first of all, it's an important message for your listeners that, you know, we all need help sometimes. And it's not a weakness to go see a therapist, go see a psychologist. And so I really connected with uh, the therapists who were extremely valuing unconditionally of who I was and really saw my best possible self, saw my strengths, helped me articulate those strengths and were warm, uh, caring, encouraging um, so that the relationship was really important to me in the professional support that I received. And that has really informed how I think about well-being and happiness and as a part of a happier you, it's how we relate to ourselves, right? Because I think that external relationship changed the way I felt about who I was at a deep level. Wow, I was I could re change the script. I could write a new story. And that story is one of somebody who had a lot to give. And I like what you said there, because it was going to lead into a, a chain of thought that's going in my mind, but, you know, you've overcome, uh, you're clearly a, a clever man or, and you're now a well-educated man and getting your, your doctorate and helping other people, but you could have just sort of blended into the background and gone into any other career or any other form of academia, but you sort of, you chose to stay close to some adversity that you've had in your life. Um, why, why? Was it important to you to sort of give back, Scott, and focus on, you know, how do we become happy? How do we overcome some of the obstacles and barriers that you've had in your life? Um, I think primarily because it fulfills a core value of mine and that, you know, we, I think many of us want to leave the world in a better place than what we found it in. And I will be happy with the trajectory of my life if I'm able to give people the tools to do that in, in their lives. And the more happy we can be individually, the better environments that we can create, the kinder schools that we can have, the better workplaces, a wellness environment, accepting, loving place that we're able to thrive in. And it, it begins from the inside out. So anytime I'm connected with gratitude practice, which I talk about in week three of the book, anytime I'm focusing on my inner strengths each day and thinking about what, what did I do that showed a strength today? Because I practice these, the same skills I write about for others. I'm practicing myself. It's not like kind of I've got it all figured out and here's, here's the recipe. It's like these are some, you know, these are a selection of skills and habits that you can develop and choose from to make your own kind of well-being recipe you know, for, for your, uh, for your life. So anytime I'm engaged in those practices, I feel good. My relationships are stronger. My, the quality of my work is better. I have more energy. I feel more hopeful about the future. I feel like I can, you know, reach the goals that I've set for myself. So there's a lot of optimism and, and a sense of can do. And I like that you continue to express there, but you know, you're, you're still working on yourself, you know, and you have to practice, mm. practice right. what you're never done. You say. No, no, practice what you preach is saying. And I've got your book behind me. I'm Scott here, you know, the happier you. And, you know, it's a seven-week program to transform negative thinking into positivity and resilience. 
Uh, and I really want to spend some time with a couple of key areas. So, you know, you sent me the book. I haven't read all the book, I've got to say, but I, I've read, it, read enough of it. But there's a couple of sort of observations or areas I want to dive into with you. But I'd love to get a, what was the lead up into the book? How did the book come into existence? I know it was tied into your work with children. Well, actually, it was um, the work was based on a wellness program that I developed here at the Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine where I'm the director of the new applied positive psychology program, master's degree program. And four years ago, I wanted to create a group program that incorporated key themes, evidence-based themes from the field of positive psychology. So I collected them, organized them into a seven-week program, and we began running the program, which became very popular here. People emerged from those seven weeks feeling like their mindset had shifted dramatically from one that was more inclined towards seeing the negative in life toward one that was more hopeful and optimistic. And I thought, you know, not everybody can attend one of these groups, or even we offer individual sessions along with the groups. Not everybody has access to that. So what's a way to put this set of skills, the skill development process in people's hands? So I wrote the book with the idea that I think some people will just want the self-paced version of moving across these seven weeks. And I can talk a little bit more about what goes into this progression because it is systematic and it is thoughtful in the way it's laid out, uh, even though it becomes at the end this wide menu of options that you can kind of pick which doorway of happiness you prefer to walk through each day or set of doorways. What's interesting is you talk about Decide, deciding which doors we're going to walk from happiness because that that is oh, I just love that I'm going to have to write that down afterwards. But the book, you know, you being a doctor, you know, you you wrote it. I'm imagining for people that were in some type of medical care, but the book is really applicable to to everyone. Um, so you know, you sort of took a program that was most probably sort of clinically designed, and you've made it more applicable to to wider people because everyone is searching, as we said, you know, that sort of. Uh, journey of self-discovering, you know, just trying to find themselves, uh, work for adversity. I mean, so it's a powerful, powerful tool. It, it really is. And uh, one of the things that I picked up in the book was, which I loved, was there was a term in there, strengthening wellness through gratitude. And if I can mm. talk about myself yeah. and my listeners, when I do talk about yeah. myself quite a lot in here, gratitude is something that I that I struggle with. Comparison is often the the thief of my joy and uh, you know mm -hmm. i always look at either what other people have or what i don't have rather than focusing on let's be grateful for the health the finances the things that i do have so i'd love for you to sort of talk about your research or how you came by that term strengthening wellness through gratitude yeah so there is uh, an emerging body of research that supports that we when we get in touch with thankfulness and that when we express thankfulness it's good for our sense of life satisfaction. It helps us physically. So we tend to sleep better. Um, we tend to not experience as many symptoms of depression. We tend to be less emotionally exhausted. We tend to feel more hopeful. And those are just a few of the findings. One, one in fact, that's really interesting. You may wonder, well, how much of this program do I need to do in order to feel good? Well, some of the literature suggests that it may be a very small dose of this goes a long way. So for instance, people who express gratitude once a week, um, they were experiencing, and not through this particular program, but they experienced higher levels of well-being. 
and they were reporting that with just one one expression of gratitude. And I think we all can can meet that bar. You know, that seems to be a pretty we manageable one, bar. I guess. We, we all can, can do we can, one. We can do one. Yeah, just, just. <laughs> and and yeah, and so gratitude has been referred to. Uh, Sonia Lyubomirsky, a researcher in the field of happiness, talks about gratitude as a meta strategy for happiness because this kind of fullness mindset seems to underlie this sense of appreciation for all of the good that happens to us and the good about ourselves seems to underlie a lot of other strategies, a lot of other skills. You know, maybe it's lightness and laughter and playfulness, and then you're appreciating feeling light and light and laughing with your kids or with your friends or with your colleagues. So a very, very powerful principle, a powerful practice. And in the book, I offer a few specific ways that people can really amp up their gratitude practice each day. For me personally, um, Simon, I start my mornings with getting in touch with thankfulness. I get out of bed and it's usually the first few thoughts I have are about why am I feeling appreciative of this new morning? And it goes from the place of being appreciative for breathing into who in my life am I grateful for into, and it goes in many different directions, but oftentimes goes into what am I grateful that I've been able to do in the world? You know, what have I had the privilege to do, the honor to do? And, and so those different facets, what a great way to start my day. And I don't know if you've, as you've struggled with gratitude practice or maybe have found spots where it really has helped you, whether you found kind of enriched that that's been like a springboard into your other activities for the day. And it doesn't have to just be in the morning. Well, I love, a, there's going to be a free counseling session here now, Scott, as well as you're asking me, because I don't know, I guess from my perspective, I think what I, I don't journal. Um, I have my probably 16 notebooks by me at any given time, but, but I write notes down. So uh, I don't know what the definition of journaling is, but I do write notes and stuff down. I think what I've really found for me, which has worked, is just to always focus on, focus on today. You know, what, what, what are those things that are in my life which are positive, which perhaps others would look at me with envy to, to mm -hmm. say that you have uh, and then reflect on those to say that I am in a good position. You know, I am more financially secure than others. You know, I do have a happy family. I am blessed to have, you know, a, a nice home. Those are the things that sort of try to draw, draw me back as opposed to focus on, well, yes, I do have a nice home, but someone else has, ha has this, you know, or keep focus on the things that I don't have. But, you know, we can, we can counsel me offline, Scott. There's a, there's a lot to unpack in me. You'll be here for a long time. <laughs> but that, you, you know, you're counting your blessings, which, which is exactly the practice that sounds really rich in how you are bringing in so many different aspects of who you are and your life to, to be appreciative of. And it is, I'm so glad, Simon, you mentioned the here and now, because one of the skill sets that really, really important to me is mindfulness, paying attention mm -hmm. on purpose in the present moment, non-judgmentally to whatever is happening within us. So having a kind of self-compassion and also a focus on the present at the exclusion of what, what might we be worrying about tomorrow, the next hour, or what happened to us yesterday or two days ago. I think that's, a, that's the road to fulfillment in the present is being able to connect with the present, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, very true. Very true. And it leads me on to my other uh, key takeaways. And I should say to the people listening, I'm only about sort of 
halfway, two thirds. I don't know where my post-it note is within your book. I haven't read all of it. So there's most probably more. There could be a part two here. But the second key piece I put up on Scott was about creating opportunities for laugh and play. And I think that ties into what you just said about being being in the moment when we're talking about well-being and mindfulness, um, creating opportunities for laugh and play. You know, when I read these these books and when I do sort of do my formal journaling, it does make me reflect on, well, do I have enough laugh and play um, in my life or am I too serious? And sometimes I've got to say that work takes over and I don't have enough of that with, with my family. So as always, your book's definitely been a kickstart for me to say, hey, Simon, have more more laugh and play. So I'd, I'd love you to share some of your research or talk about um, why that got included in your book. You know, I'm, I'm so glad that you are focusing in on the week four, chapter four element of playfulness. You know where it is, you see, you know where it is. <laughs> lightness. Yeah, we've gone through the program so many times with so many people. It's and now it is it kind of like a part, you know, you think of like light being refracted through a prism and you're seeing all of its constituent colors right after it passes through that prism. That's how I see happiness. And one of the key wavelengths is humor, laughter and playfulness. And I think that's so important to get in touch with. And the research is telling us that we should be more in touch with that. We lose contact with our child's mind. You know, when we're babies, toddlers, we laugh a lot during the day. We don't laugh so much typically on average as adults relative to when we were kids. And that in and of itself, I think is, is a great justification. It's something I'm, I'm always, I've always been a very serious person, very oh, like too serious, I think. I think that was Well, you're a doctor my, after all, you know, so you... Part of my unhappiness growing up was that I was so so darn serious all the time. I think I needed, I needed more lightness and laughter uh, in, in my life. Very key piece of this is understanding what your sources of playfulness are. And I love that you journal because a big part of a happier you, if you get the book, it's interactive. So you want to write down a list of sources of things that make you laugh in week four. That's very important. Looking at ways that you can expand being playful. Um, I have a 12 year old and you know, as if you have kids and as they grow up, they become a little less playful, a little less interested in doing silly things. But I didn't take that as, as a place to stop. So recently I snuck up on my son, he was getting ready for bed and I, I just threw something at him and I ran out of the room. <laughs> <laughs> and he wasn't Love expecting it. it. And he started running after me. And we had this kind of this whole chase scene at bedtime where we're like both hysterical. And uh, it's it's things like that. It's kind of the intentional choice to let go of some of the weighty concerns of adulthood for even just a little while. Yeah, and that's important. I mean, my, my two sons are eight and 11. And, you know, I think People say this, Scott, but sometimes you have to be reminded that, you know, children do remind you to be playful, don't they, just by who they are in, in nature and stuff. And it always happens around bedtime that my um, sons want to start wrestling. Well, that does the opposite of trying to set them down for the night. It actually gets them all like become like sort of all wired and then want to run around and stuff, you know, but it is those good moments to connect with them, you know, and also add humor and, you know, create those opportunities for laugh and play, like like you said. As you were, you were talking to say, a couple of things were going through my mind about um, through your research of the book, have you found any commonalities as to what people are missing? You know, I know it's a seven-week program. It sounds like I'm reading up to, I've read up to week four. From either your, you know, professional career as a psychologist or just people that are reading the book and giving feedback, is there any anything 
which is common that people are missing in their life, which your book is helping them get mm. through? Wow, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I think it's it a deep began, question as well, Scott. Yeah. So, so. I, I love that question because there, I think there could be a number of areas, you know, lightness, laughter, playfulness, that could be one. One that stands out to me is mindfulness, which we've talked about, that ability to have a better sense of control over where our attention is falling. We tend to get absorbed in negative things in life, right? The stressful conversation you had in the morning with with a friend, the disappointment related maybe to to a job, something that happened on your job, or it really could be anything. It could be how somebody else is telling you a stressful story and you're kind of getting wrapped up in their frustration and anger. And so I think in order for us to shift that paradigm, getting swept away in that, and we, that tends to be really reinforcing because we see it like, oh, we want to pay attention to the threats in our environment so we can protect ourselves. We don't need to do that as much. Mindful attention, practicing the shift to, and we do that through questions. And I, I propose a series of questions in the book. How can you redirect your attention from what's going wrong to what's going well? And not to say we need to deny or minimize negative things in our life or negative emotions. It's really important. It's a part of a balanced being a part of a balanced human experience, right? To have both the negative and the light side, the positive side of life. But yeah. if you can do that, if you can work on shifting that attentional spotlight on a regular basis and then observing what is this is the key, observing what's the effect of moving my attention to what's the strength I'm showing right now in this very moment? Um, what's something I enjoyed this morning? What's something meaningful that I've done in the past week or two? Let me bring that closer and ask more questions about it and celebrate the feelings that came out of that and look at all of the good relationship stuff built around that. I love what you said in there about what's going wrong as opposed to what's going well right now. You know, I think that's a simple question that everyone can do is not focus on what's going wrong. What what is going well? You can you can relate that to business, to life, to parenting whatever it is, particularly parenting, we all have those moments thinking, I'm terrible at this. This isn't going right. This isn't going well. But what is going right about um, parenting? So I'm intrigued, Scott, in your in your book, you know, hearing a bit about your journey of sort of bullying and sort of depression. Um, how much of this book is based on you and how much of it is based on your your research? So the research is not the research I've personally done, although we have studied from a qualitative perspective, getting feedback from participants in the program and how that's affected their lives. The research comes from looking at other studies in these different areas that kind of bring them together in this kind of compilation. So I just wanted to kind of clarify that for, uh, for your viewers and, and listeners, um, how much of it comes from me and how much comes from what I found in the research. I think the two are <laughs> are woven together. You know, it's this has been a personal journey as much as it's been looking at what brilliant minds. I'm standing on the shoulders. You've heard that cliche, right, before Absolutely, so many yeah. times. Standing on the shoulders of intellectual giants in the field. And I'm just like another chef in the kitchen putting some ingredients together, maybe in a, in a new kind or interesting kind of way to create something that could be enjoyed and helpful. So that's the way I see it. And what's been your biggest self-discovery doing this work and writing the book, A Happier You? What have you, what's been your biggest self-discovery about yourself? My biggest discovery about myself, I would say, um, has been 
just the the sheer sense of joy and appreciation and meaning in being able to write a book that other people could read. So as I, it took me a year to write, and as I was writing each chapter, I was just I was just overwhelmed with like feeling, you know, when you're in your zone, when you know, like, wow, maybe this is what I was here to do. You know, you feel very aligned with your values, with your, what your heart's desire has been for a long time. Even before I became a psychologist, I was interested in writing and always loved books, could always find me reading as part of my introvert personality. I was always in a book. So the dream to be able to write a book, I think what surprised me was Maybe it shouldn't have surprised me. I, mean, I don't know if it surprised me all that much, but that I was just, I felt like I had arrived at the top of the mountain as I was climbing the mountain and each at each level. Yeah, I, I just hear your story from you've been a teenager to, to where you are now. I don't think since I've moved to America, I don't think I've interviewed so many people with PhDs or, or doctors and stuff. So it's, I'm learning or living vicariously through your, through your life. But, um, you know, it's a very powerful journey that you've been on you're doing a lot of good for the community helping others and i know that your book is going to help um, so many people it really is so i'll just say again it's a happier you a seven-week program to transform negative thinking into positivity and resilience i would really encourage people to pick up a copy is it on amazon scott can i find it on amazon it is simon yeah thank you for asking it's on amazon it's on barnes and noble and uh probably uh and bookshop.org and other other outlets so yeah and i'll, and I'll put a link to it within mm -hmm. the show notes but i guess lastly if people have an interest if it sparks their interest about learning more uh, about yeah. a seven-week program is it something available to everyone maybe tell us a little bit about where people could find it it is yeah um so through the philadelphia college of osteopathic medicine we're offering the individualized remote virtual version of a happier you so wherever you are in the world you can participate in the program. We, we make it very reasonable cost-wise because we want people to have access to the power of positive psychology that's built into that program. So where they can go is a happieryou.org, and that's where you can register for the program, learn more about it. And I, I really recommend if you're going through the program, the book is, is now a wonderful companion guide. So, you know, as you're moving through the seven weeks with a coach, you are reading a chapter each week is how we envisioned it how I envisioned it so and I'm sure you have many stories here but I'm just going to end on asking you a question about what is the most powerful story or transformation you've heard that someone that's gone through your program I've seen on your social media where people are sort of linking about buying the book but what's the most powerful story that has touched you about someone that's been through your seven-week program yeah I, I think it's people who generally coming back and saying that they are just enjoying each day more because they're paying attention to things that they had not noticed before. And that's a kind of a common, a common thread in this shift in it's, it's a way of living, right? It, the whole way of living for them has been altered in a way that opens many doors. People have said that they feel more creative, they feel more connected and loving toward those that they care about in their lives. So I think those are those are some of the most powerful stories. Well, Dr. Scott Glassman, it's been an honor and a privilege to talk to you today. I'm really excited to dive in. It sounds like I'm on week four. I've got three weeks to go. Three more um, weeks. For three, three more weeks. Um, but it's been an honor and a privilege to talk to you. And I know that we'll stay in contact. And I look forward to speaking to you again soon. You take care. 
Thank you for joining the Who I Became podcast. To help spread this inspiring story, be sure to share it with your friends, hit the like button, and of course, subscribe to our channel so you won't miss out on any future episodes. We'd also love to hear how this story impacted you. So leave us a comment on whatever platform you're watching us from. To learn more about this episode, our guests, or Simon, head over to simonosimo slash podcast and sign up to receive the latest information delivered straight to your inbox. Once again, thank you for joining us for the Who I Became podcast.